Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour. I am your host, Christopher Anderson, and today's episode is about production. I mean, in particular, we're discussing the introduction and employment of technology, and technology in this context is writ large, technology being anything uh, that enables your team, including yourself, to work more efficiently, more productively, of uh, employing this technology into your law firm business and how to do it right. If you'll remember, of course, in the main triangle of what it is that a law firm business must do, we've got to acquire new clients. We call that acquisition. We've got to produce the results that we promised those clients. That's production. And of course, we have to achieve the business and professional results for the owners. And of course, you're at the be in the middle of all that. Uh, for better or worse, the center of that triangle is you. But today we are going to talk about production. And we're going to talk, discuss how being deliberate about the culture of the utilization of technology can make or break the return you expect to get on your technology investment. And to help me with that conversation, or actually to really enlighten me in that conversation, are my guests today. Um, Two guests, Anthony Seal. Anthony is the CEO of Legatics, which is a legal transaction management platform, and Isabel Parker, who is a legal digital transformation expert. And today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is the culture of technology. And once again, I am absolutely pleased to introduce my guests, Anthony Seal of Legatics and Isabel Parker, legal digital transformation expert, who's also the executive director of the Digital Legal Exchange and the author of Successful Digital Transformation in Law Firms, um, A Question of Culture. So first of all, Anthony, Isabel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Uh, it's my pleasure to have you. So before we get started in the uh, in this very interesting topic, just Anthony, I gave a very brief introduction. Can you talk just a little bit about what is Legatix and why you got involved with uh, in building that business? Absolutely. So I was a finance lawyer myself. And before I was a finance lawyer, uh, I did satellite data analysis. So I was quite an unusual person to become a lawyer. And when I did, I think I started thinking about how I could do my legal work in new ways. I thought in terms of structure, I thought in terms of automation, I thought in terms of programming. And I think a lot of the lawyers around me thought in terms of um, client relationship management, attention to detail um, and um, literary analysis. And I think I, in starting to think about that work in a different way, I thought there was a huge opportunity to uh, project manage legal transactions in a better way. Very often they're managed using enormous tables in Microsoft Word. It's very inefficient. Mm-hmm. Clients don't know what's happening on their legal transaction until they're sent some kind of um, table of, of documents that might be being produced. You'll have very long calls to run through who's doing what next. Um, and things become very disorganized and very expensive for for clients as well. So Legatics as a transaction management platform is a place online where people can come together, they can do their legal transaction, they can um, supply documents that satisfy obligations, they can see the progress of that legal transaction. Um, And uh, we also start to automate certain tasks that lawyers are doing, like the production of closing sets, um, like the management of um, uh, signature pages within a legal transaction. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you. Isabel, I introduced you as a legal digital transformation expert. And while I think everybody listening knows what each of those four words means, I'm not sure everybody understands what happens when you put them all together. Can you explain a little bit about what you do and how you came to do it? Yeah, I can certainly uh, have a go. <laughs> like Anthony, I started life as a as a big law lawyer, finance lawyer as well, in a large magic circle law firm. And I experienced a lot of the pain points that Anthony described as well. So I'm fully conversant with the frustrations of working in an analog way in an increasingly digital world. Um, I then moved out of private practice to become chief legal innovation officer of my law firm, one of the early roles created uh, in that space, and became responsible for helping the law firm to change the way it works, to put it very, very simply, through using technology, different processes, being more customer-centric, working in more of a multidisciplinary way. So when you describe me as a legal digital transformation expert, um, and thank you for that, I suppose what I really mean is looking at how lawyers deliver to their clients currently and how we might improve the way that they deliver to their clients by using a combination of technology, of process, of people, and of different ways of working, challenging the established law firm paradigm. Excellent. And if you, you've put this all into a book, The Successful Digital Transformation in Law Firms, um, A Question of Culture. When, when was that published? That was published last year, actually, November last year. So it's in all good bookshops now, should you wish to avail yourself of it. So make note, everybody, if it's not in your, good, if in your, in your bookshop, it's not a good bookshop. So uh, <laughs> you, should, you should find it. All right, let's get into it. So you know, we're talking about legal technology. And the first thing is to define what that means, right? So people, when you say legal technology, people immediately think, oh, you mean my case management system. Oh, you mean the computers. But I think we're, we're talking about something bigger than that. And, and then being able to actually incorporate that technology into the firm. So let's start with you, Isabel, since you wrote, you wrote the book. You know, when you talk about bringing the digital transformation, when you, when you talk about bringing technology into a law firm, what are some of the, like, the most important or impactful technologies that could be brought into a law firm and, and, and that you're writing about? It's a great question, but in a way, it's a very tricky question to yes. answer. When we think about technology as applies to the legal profession, we could be thinking about something as simple as an Excel spreadsheet or as simple as a world document, all the way up to something as sophisticated as the AI that's just been introduced through ChatGPT, for example. So it spans a huge spectrum of different possibilities. Instead of thinking in terms of tools or individual technologies, it's best, I think, and, and so you can certainly comment on this, to think in terms of client outcomes. So ultimately, what lawyers are trying to do is to make the experience for their clients better. That can mean cheaper, it can mean more efficient, it can mean more seamless, but certainly using technology is just one way of making sure that the client experience is improved. And you switch from a what has been historically a very analog delivery model to a much more digital delivery model which clients themselves will be experiencing in their own businesses because everything's digitizing and in their own personal lives because even in our own home lives, in our personal lives, everything's digitizing for us too. So it's a way of, of lawyers making themselves more relevant 
um, leveraging all kinds of different technologies for better client outcomes. But Anthony, I'm sure you can articulate it much better than I can. I think it's really interesting you you, you say it like that. It, I, I think as a technology company, we've always come at it from the angle of let's solve problems for lawyers. We've never said we're a workflow company. We've never said we're an AI company. We, we've said we're a company that's been built by lawyers who understand the problems that we're trying to solve. And we'll use whatever bits of technology we need to solve practical problems. So when I pitch to lawyers, we say, we'll help you finish your transactions faster. We'll help you organize them. We'll help you go home earlier. Um, we'll help you give your clients a clear online view as to where their legal transactions are. And I, I don't come along and I don't say, I'm, I'm going to you know, use a bit of AI here or a bit of pattern recognition here or a bit of kind of um, workflow organization here. We go in and we say, um, let's solve a legal problem. And I think that's an Iridian, I think that's a really important part of a successful approach. Yeah. So with that, you know, so the, I think all those goals are, are laudable, right? Going home earlier, right? which you know, really just means getting, being more productive with your time, getting the same amount of work done in less time, making the client experience better. Uh, certainly is particularly like, I mean, you said they're using this in their businesses, but it's also you know, how everybody's gotten used to consuming other services. We consume banking services digitally. We're telehealth thing. We're doing everything digitally. But so those are the benefits. Let's just start with, though, overcoming the obstacles. So let me start it with Anthony. Like These benefits all sound very compelling, yet there is resistance. What blocks technology uh, from being used in law firms, and why are we lagging? I think the number one thing that blocks technology in law firms is culture. Um, and I think you can think of it, we, we hear stories of juniors who um, want to bring something in that perhaps makes their life better and um, they might be even scared to suggest something in a meeting. Is there a culture within a law firm that says that ideas from senior people are more likely to be correct than ideas from junior people? Do they feel mm -hmm. empowered to drive something new, to change something, to deliver a, a service to a client in a new way that might be different? Maybe it's even a little bit risky. It's certainly going to be new, but um, it might be better. Um, or we might even see seniors who are saying, we want to um, change the, the way um, uh, en masse as to how we deliver our technology, uh, sorry, our, our service to law firms using technology. How do we get everyone else on board? How do we get all of our lawyers to change really ingrained working habits and, and, and practices? Um, and, and again, that comes back to culture. So we, we build all this technology. It has all of the benefits that, that, that you suggest. And then it comes down to that people part. And that's when things get really, really difficult. And I think overcoming that and thinking about how we can overcome that is a huge benefit to bringing that technology in. So Isabel, what about that people part? How, how, because I think that's really where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the impetus is there and the technology is there. And I love the value approach that, uh, that we're, we've been speaking about, but what about the people? Is this, that's a difficult one to overcome. I agree. And I think uniquely so in a law firm environment, anybody who's worked in a change role within a law firm will tell you that there's something about the lawyer's psyche that makes it quite tricky to push fundamental change through a partnership structure. And that that's not knocking lawyers. I'm on myself, Anthony's on my, as well. But lawyers, although as individuals, they can be very dynamic and thoughtful and risk-taking, once they come together in an organization, in a structure, that tends sometimes to be a little bit less than the sum of its parts and to become rather unwieldy, slow to change, and resistant to change. And a good example of, of what I'm talking about might be, I referred to Jack, Chat GPT at the beginning of this podcast, yeah. 
which is, as I'm sure you all know, a sort of new large language model that's been produced uh, by OpenAI to allow people to sort of interrogate um, uh, an AI model and have a very conversational kind of chatbot type experience off the back of it to auto-generate information. And the reaction to that particular piece of technology in the legal community has been really interesting. And I don't know if you've noticed this too, Anthony, but lawyers tend to do two things with technology. They tend to either demonize it, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to us, we're all going to be put out of a job, it's the end of our careers as we know it, or they mythologize it. So they make it the answer to all their prayers. And I think we've seen that very, very clearly in reaction to chat GPT. Whereas in reality, technology is neither something to demonize or mythologize. It's simply another tool to be used to do your job more effectively, to solve those client problems, to uh, and enable your lawyers to go home a little earlier. But for some reason, it may be the training, it may be the psyche, it may be something to do with the structure of the, of the law firm partnership. Lawyers are quite resistant to embrace technology as part of their normal working lives. It's, it is a very big challenge. Yeah, and I think it, it does make sense with our training, right? So yeah, here we've got three lawyers here who are willing, right? But the training is precedent. The training is respect precedent. That's the core of our common law structure that we, even though we are a few thousand miles <laughs> apart, share. And so we need to overcome that. And that's a great place to stop for a second. We're going to hear a word from the wonderful people who make this show possible. And then we're going to come back. And Isabel, I'm going to direct that question back at you again. Um, but this time I'm going to ask you, okay, if that's the culture, because I think what we've done in the first part of the show here is we've described the problem and talked a little bit about the opportunity. But let's start talking um, as we go about about the methodology. How do we do this? But first, we'll hear from our sponsors. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Nearly 80% of people search for lawyers online. They visit websites and check reviews. If your site doesn't appear in the top search results or it presents poorly, you risk losing clients. That's why you must know how your firm stacks up on Google against the competition. See how your reviews impact clients' decisions and how you can get better results from your site. Get an unbiased marketing performance report in under a minute right now at Grow Law Firm. And that's growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. Once again, growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. And we're back uh, with the Unbillable Hour. We've been talking with Anthony Seal and Isabel Parker. We've been talking about technology and its relationship with law firms, the purpose of it, and some of the challenges with implementing it because of the nature of lawyers and the culture that exists in the firm. So what I said we would do when we come back, and I want to start with Isabel, is say, okay, that is the challenge. I agree with you. And I think everybody that's listening can say, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I see in my business. So this is where the legal technology or digital tech, I forget now what, how I introduced you, the digital transformation expert. How do we do it? How do we overcome this obstacle? Where do we, where do we start? Let's, let's go there. What's the first thing we need to do with a law firm in order to 
enhance the likelihood of adoption and realizing the um, the returns on the technology investment. Well, we talked a bit earlier about the people and cultural elements of driving technology adoption in law firms, and they are incredibly important. But hand in hand with those people elements goes structural elements. You can't divorce the two. There are a number of reasons why structurally it's difficult to drive change to a law firm. For example, partnerships, when generally we're talking about law firm partnerships, depend on consensus-based decision-making. That's where everybody has to agree before something gets done. In a corporate structure, of course, it's much more command and control. Because of this consensus-based decision-making structure, you have to be able to persuade pretty much everyone or the vast majority of people in your organization, however big or small that might be, that this is the right thing to do. Lawyers are skeptical by nature for precisely the reasons that you have already called out, Christopher. They, they look back at precedent. They like to be sure that everything you know, has, has a, a forerunner, that they can be sure that they're making the right decision. So if I were advising a law firm of whatever size to start thinking about technology adoption, I would say start with a business case. That sounds very boring, but it's very, very important. When I talk about a business case, I mean a document that can be very light, that sets out clearly the costs, the total costs, and the anticipated benefits of adopting a particular technology or changing a particular way of working. Sets out KPIs to track whether that's going to work and incentivize people to adopt it. Because once lawyers can see that there really is a clear and reasoned case for adopting this kind of technology, they're much more likely to get on board. And another, another element that can be brought into that business case is to hear from clients themselves about what they would like to see from their law firm, um, to ask them, you know, what's good about the experience that you have with our law firm? What's, what's challenging about it? What would you like to change? start to bring in that client voice about how their businesses are changing and how they want to change the way that they're served by their external advisors and factor that into the business case as well. So I think something that's tangible, clear, and sets out the cost and benefits in a way that everybody can understand can be incredibly compelling. Yeah. And I think that client voice also can indicate something that, that it runs against the grain of the conservative mindset that law firms tend to have, but that is like actually by doing nothing, you can lose these clients. Like this, it's not, it's not like we've all been talking so far in this about, oh, it'll be, you go home earlier. Oh, your clients will have a better experience. Oh, it makes things easier, better, more productive. But I think gone are the days where standing still is okay, right? Like that in a risk analysis, change is important. Um, Anthony, like what, what do you see in that regard? Like how, how does this sit on the risk side of the balance sheet? Uh, the fastest we've ever seen anyone buy our software is where they said, a client said that we used it um, on another deal with another law firm and that deal went really well and we really enjoyed the experience we we had in the digital space of that transaction and um, what are you guys doing here? And I've never seen a law firm um, look to procure something so quickly. Um, clients move around a lot faster than they have ever have done before. And I think thinking about particularly client a technology that's client facing and what clients think of uh, of your services is a really really important element of this. And to that point, like also what Isabel was talking about regarding the resistance, um, the one thing I think that that we didn't hit on was okay, we, we we got on the precedent and why lawyers are resistant to change, and I think that makes sense. But there's also this other thing, particularly in the larger law firms, but I think it's really across the board. Lawyers aren't measured 
in any way by their willingness to adopt technology. And the most important measure, no matter what other measures there might be, are their billable hours, right? Um, how much did you bill? How much did you bring into the firm? How does the adoption of technology, you know, when I can honestly always look you in the face and say, I don't have, I, I'm billing X hours. I don't have time to be messing around. And I certainly can't afford for technology to slow me down. How do you address that concern? Because I think that's real. I think you're quite right to point out that the billable hour model is a challenge in itself to technology adoption, particularly if you're thinking only in terms of technology for greater efficiency. There's an argument you continuously hear from perhaps more traditional partners that anything that makes us more efficient means we bill less, which means we make less money. So therefore, why would we put ourselves out of business? And of course, that's a valid argument that should be taken into consideration, but it somewhat misses the point. Technology can be leveraged for a number of different uses. And when putting together a business case, efficiency is just one of the benefits. There's also revenue generation. If you're using technology in a smart way so that you can really understand your underlying data as a law firm, that can be used to the client's advantage. That can be monetized and can be revenue generating in itself. Digital products can be built, with, particularly with a, a number of these no-code, no-code tools where you bring the lawyers in to help you to develop digital products that you can commercialize to your clients, for example. So te technology can also be a big revenue generator. And it also will take you closer to your clients. Very, very important. If you continue as a law firm to deliver in an analog way, you'll become increasingly disenfranchised from your clients who themselves will be digitizing. And then you can't be trusted advisors anymore. Someone else will swoop in to take, to take up the, the, the oxygen. So I think thinking about digital transformation as a really broad, holistic and fundamental change across the business that can both generate revenue and bring efficiency benefits is really, really critical. Makes sense. Okay, so let's get down to brass tacks. I think we've sold, we've we've identified the problem. We've sold the need to overcome it, and you know how we need to see things differently because uh, the traditional way of seeing the billable hours primary, the traditional way of of being fearful of change is needs to be overcome. But let's get brass tacks now. So what are like we need to change? First of all, do we need to change the culture before? We can introduce the technology. Is, is that the right step? Uh, and then I'll follow that up. But just, let, let's just go there first. Is it culture first? I think you can do both at the same time. So I don't mm -hmm. think you can change um, culture in a vacuum. I think you need to show some action to show that your culture is, ta is, is changing and bringing in a piece of technology is a perfect opportunity to do that. I think if you take that document that Isabel suggested you, you you write as to what are the benefits of this technology and you take that to the top of the law firm and you get people at the top of that law firm to role model what the change they want to see in that law firm, that is often one of the most successful um, ways of changing a law firm culture that I've seen. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you need the top down and trite and you hear it a lot and the bottom up as well because... A change effort needs to be atomized across the whole organization. It can't be delegated to the IT group or the innovation group. It won't be effective or embedded if, if that's the case. So I utterly agree you need role modeling at the top. We also, my previous law firm, had a lot of success by drawing in our younger associates who were very enthusiastic about using technology, who were somewhat frustrated um, about the long hours they were working, some, sometimes fruitlessly when they could see better ways of doing things. Bringing these individuals in, these associates in as intrapreneurs, if you like, can be a very, very effective way of getting the tentacles of the change right across the organization. 
So that's that's a method that's adopted by quite a number of law firms, that entrepreneurship kind of model. So you've got the top and the bottom working together. Then you just have to worry about the fat middle that may not want to yeah. change because, you know, frankly, let's be honest, law firms have been doing very, very well. We wish them well, too well, but they have been doing very, very well over the past few years. And for many who are, you know, maybe five years away from retirement, the kind of investment that it might require for wholesale digital change can be relatively unappetizing. So there is a layer that you really have to think about whether you work hard to move or whether you just let it sit there. That makes total sense. And to that point, because some will be retiring, I want to talk about on the other side of this break, which we're about to take, longer term cultural change, right? So yeah, we can change, we can involve the younger people we have in the business and we can also lead from the top and um, hopefully actually find some leadership in the middle as well. But uh, longer term, also, maybe we need to pay attention to who we're bringing into the business and get a little diversity with that. But uh, let's talk about that as soon as we come back from this break. Law Clerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with project-based work and also ongoing work via a subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, Law Clerk has a new app for your mobile device to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code UNBILLABLE when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. Find out how TimeSolve fits your firm. With six different ways to track time, surely one will fit, even on the go. Or quickly estimate flat fee projects. Batch payments for hundreds of invoices at once with TimeSolve Pay. Getting paid quickly is a great fit. And TimeSolve fits with the other tools you use. QuickBooks, LawPay, NetDocuments, LawRuler, Microsoft, all just plug in. Try TimeSolve free. Get a $100 Amazon gift card when you sign up. TimeSolve.com. All right, we are back again with Isabel Parker and Anthony Seal. And we've been talking about adoption of technology um, into law firms. And we've talked about, uh, we've been going through some of the solutions leading from the top bringing in the younger people in the business who might uh, already have ideas um, and certainly familiarity with using technology to make their work more efficient and their lives more efficient. But so I, I posed the question um, before we broke about what about um, longer term change and how, paying some attention to recruiting um, and who we bring into the business. So what about that? How, how can that be part of this solution? Well, I'm someone who didn't just go and do it study law and then become a lawyer. And I think yeah. have going and, and doing satellite data analysis gave me a completely different perspective as to how I could go about my legal work. And I think if we start to think, how do we stop being so specific about sort of hiring people who are very like us within the law firm, who think like us, who think like the status quo and start to think, has somebody got um, a life experience or um, a career that they've had elsewhere or something that else um, that's going to give them a fresh perspective? Because I think um, hiring a more diverse range of people um, who bring um, a more diverse range of thinking can start to help us um, um, break down the status quo and start to think, how do we deliver um, some of our legal services in new ways that are going to really impress our clients? Yeah, absolutely. And if we look at it from the client angle again, I hear a lot from general counsel that what they're looking for is from their external counsel is not just 
the best quality technical legal skills, which are assumed, obviously, but they're looking for more than that because there are no pure legal problems anymore. If you think about a big litigation, that's as much a data problem as it is a legal problem. You need the legal expertise, but you also need other skills to crack that problem in the most effective way. So the days of simply recruiting for technical skills, I think, are long gone, although they, they do persist in law firms simply because because of the partnership model and the consensus-based decision-making that that requires, it's much easier to operate in that environment if everybody thinks pretty much the same, because you can trust your fellow partner because they've been to your law school or they're the same color as you or they wear the same suits, and that kind of perpetuates itself over time and leads to a homogeneity of human capital in law firms, which isn't the most helpful thing for driving innovation and change. Right. So to Anthony's point, Absolutely. We need more diversity. And that starts with recruitment. I think it's been proven uh, time and time again that there's a correlation between increased cognitive diversity and better financial performance in organizations. So law firms would do well to sort of consider that and start to think about the pool from which they recruit and the way in which they bring people through the ranks, who they make partner. Should it just be lawyers or could it be um, people from other allied uh, business support professions, for example, but certainly more multi-disciplinary uh, working, more cognitive diversity should lead to better results and greater innovation. I, I agree. I think there's a risk that um, lawyers only trust lawyers as well. As well. I think um, law firms, um, and, and it does help when you get to a certain level of scale, but I think even a kind of admin assistant um, could start to perform other functions um, beyond their role as well. Um, I think lawyers need to start to really um, trust and respect other disciplines like um, data analysis, like technology expertise, um, like people who can develop new product services, um, whether that's with a low code solution on the side of their legal job or whether that's um, launching a whole new product. And I think trusting people who have non-legal expertise as well is, is critical to changing and creating more innovative law firms um, that are going to produce new and exciting things for clients. Yeah, which kind of like leads me to thinking about, you know, we've spent almost all the time talking about people, which is important, and how that mindset, how the culture, how the habits of lawyers and, and the other team are important. But um, uh, to borrow the words from uh, it's an American television show called The Prophet and Marcus Limonis, um, he looks at people and process, right? So when, when analyzing a business, what about process here? Because surely introducing technology, each different new facet of technology doesn't need a new bespoke methodology of introduction. Is there a process that could be formalized for capturing new ideas, bringing them into the firm and actualizing them. I believe that that's absolutely essential. If you simply light a fire under the firm for lots of ideation and have no way of dealing with what comes at you, it will start to harm the reputation of the team that's leading the innovation or the change. And we just don't get things done. So boring as it may seem, I believe that having a defined process in place will help to move things along more quickly. And certainly at my former law firm, we spent a lot of time putting that in place. It's a challenge though, because lawyers don't actually like process very much. I don't mean to generalize about everybody, <laughs> but I do think, I don't know what you think, Asi, but I kind of think that's true. Reducing that into a process somehow goes against the grain of what lawyers think they're about. So 
imposing that process was a really tricky thing to do, but it gives much more transparency. It means that when ideas come into the hopper, if you like, instead of the the most powerful partner or the person that shouts the loudest, just banging the table, you're able to prioritize those ideas on the basis of some defined criteria that align to the strategy of your firm. So is this a practice area we're looking to grow? Is this a geography we're looking to grow? Is this an important client for us? Does it serve more than one client? And approaching uh, the process in that way really does speed things up. And I'm sure, Anthony, that in your sort of line of business where you're you're in a technology company effectively, that kind of much more agile way of working is something that you've had to put in place to to work effectively to deliver to your clients. And I think more firms would do well to, to, to think about mirroring that. Yeah, um, I, I think it's been really interesting to see um, who gets involved with some of those groups within law firms as well. And some really interesting things I've seen is where a law firm sets up like an innovation group or a how can we deliver our service better group. Um, and they include um, not just senior people, they include junior people in the organization as well who are actually delivering some of the kind of more routine administrative tasks and actually have a lot of perspective on the ground as to um, how are they going about that work. And I think that allows ideas to come from everywhere. Um, And I think having the formal structure there also gives those people permission to have ideas and permission to say, look, this part of the process, um, you know, creating the closing set is actually taking loads and loads of time and it's really important and and it gives them a forum to be listened to. And I think when you start to improve all of those um, smaller parts of a law firm, then you can start to, to, to deliver a better client service and do some exciting things. Going back to what we said earlier, I think clients want law firms to change probably more than law firms realize. I think (laughs) um, clients are um, in the business of usually changing a lot more rapidly than law firms are. Um, And I think they probably want lawyers to be doing this a little bit more than the lawyers realize. I completely agree. And a lot of the GCs that I talk to will say precisely that. And being able to demonstrate to your clients that you have a process in place to take ideas that come from clients or come from associates or partners, wherever that may be, and that they are prioritized in the right way and able to be brought to fruition quickly and effectively for the benefit of the client, bringing in the client voice where appropriate, that's a really compelling story for law firms to tell their clients. Um, It can only be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, the attention to and acknowledgement of the fact that the the clients really at the end of the day drive it and that there is competition and that uh, some law firms are getting the message uh, should should continue to drive this. So, you know, the the, the market is in fact competitive and we've established, I think, that the, the culture in the firms needs to change. And that there are practical steps to take, um, Isabel. You know, just to like if you can give a quick hit, like for a key takeaway, um, if law firm leaders, whether big firms or small firms, want to learn more about how to do this, because obviously thirty minutes is not enough. It's just teasing. Um, where what what are the resources they can look look for to uh, to learn more about this? In terms of resources, I think it starts with a realization internally with the leadership of whatever size of firm that you have that cultural change is a deliberate act. Can't just throw up our hands and say, well, culture is what it is, it's how we do things, how things are done around here. Culture can be managed deliberately and it needs to be managed deliberately. So a a recognition from the leadership that they have a responsibility for shaping the culture of the firm and for creating a culture in which innovation can flourish, which means psychological safety, i.e. allowing ideas to surface from the bottom upwards and not just you know, the highest paid person's opinion, um, making people free to speak, 
creating a more diverse workforce by bringing in people from different from different walks of life and different backgrounds and listening to their voices. These are all deliberate actions that could be taken to improve the culture of the firm and to manage it and to manage it for the client benefit. And clients will love to hear that that's what law firms are focused on. So I would say a deliberate, conscious leadership effort. Great. Thank you as well. So, and Anthony, I'm going to give you the last word here. So, you know, if you're talking to the listeners of this program or other law firm leaders, like where do they get, where do they start? How do, how do they get started acknowledging and moving forward to be more effective leaders of culture and technology? I think you can start small. I think you can take a technology project and use that um, as an as a way of changing your culture. I think taking the ideas out of that funnel, um, taking them to the top of the organization, saying yes, this is a positive thing that we want to be doing, um, and then role modeling those uh, those um, changes within the organization um, can can make a huge amount of progress. Um, and I think talking to um, non-lawyers and technology experts can um, be really insightful as well. And if there's one group of people that will talk to you to no end, probably because they want to sell to you, it'll be um, the set of vendors and they'll happily spend time talking to you um, and sharing their expertise as to how they've seen law firms successfully adopt technology um, and and what some of the um, challenges are and how they can be overcome. Um, we, we've we do things like we produce an ebook called um, "Firms of the Future: Overcoming the Barriers Overcoming Barriers to Legal Technology Adoption." Um, you can download it from our website. Um, we're always happy to have conversations with people about how they can change their law firm and how they can successfully bring um, technology in. As are many legal technology experts, so the resources, the advice is out there, and I think that can really help you start to think about how you can change things within your own law firm. Great. Well, thank you. And that is going to wrap up this edition of the Unbillable Hour. So I thank all our listeners for listening. So Anthony, you just mentioned a couple of things, but if so, if people want to know about that website um, or follow up with you on anything we've talked about, um, where where can they find that information? Sure. So um, if you go to legatics.com, you can download um, eBooks on this topic and on other topics as well. Um, you can also um, talk to our team members who'd be really happy to pick up the conversation about how you can bring technology into your law firm and change the culture of your law firm uh, to make that um, technology purchase a success as well. Fantastic. And Isabel, as a legal digital transformation expert, how can people follow up with you and learn more um, about what you've got to, uh, to offer in that arena? Well, feel free to link me in should you wish to. Um, I'm happy to speak to anybody who's interested in learning more. And of course, you could always buy a copy of my wonderful book available for, once again at all good bookstores. And let's let's get that title again. Successful Digital Transformation in Law Firms, colon, A Question of Culture. So it couldn't be more point for this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, thank you both uh, for being guests. You've been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, my pleasure. My absolute pleasure. My name is Christopher T. Anderson, and I look forward to seeing or hearing or being heard, I guess, by all of our wonderful listeners next month with another great guest or guests as we learn more about topics that help us build the law firm business that works for you. Remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thank you for joining us. We will speak again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. 
its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app.